It's the Breaking Out Tools podcast where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, a.k.a. your GOAT's favourite British guy. <laughs> and my name is Chris Mitchell, a.k.a. the actual factual, actual facts will abound today. So we, 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 we're in the groove now. We're, we're, we're swinging, right? The rust is off, the WD-40's on. Come on. The creaks of the door have gone. Yep. We're, we're, we've, all the rust is off now. We're, we're, we're in full swing. We're rocking. Okay, okay. How you feeling, man? Bro, I feel great, man. I just had some food. Um, yeah, man. I'm 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 really excited about this. This this interview is with someone whose name, you know, I'm a liner notes fiend, right? And so are you. So when you sent me the text to say this person has agreed to do the interview, I, I had to pull out some some records, bro, some 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 archives from the treasure trove. You know what I mean? Some okay, some Brady Grand stuff, some some deep stuff, bro. Okay, so you went into the DuckTales tragedy show. That, that, yeah, yeah I, I, I hate, I hate, I hate. I went there. Okay, so let's let's get into it. So our guest today, I guess the best way to describe our guest today is someone who facilitates art ah. within the culture. Ah. A big year hip-hop, but he facilitates art within the culture and has done for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, 15, 16 years, but a long time. We're talking about 30-plus Wu-Tang albums, what were your favorite rappers, Keith Murray, Crooked Eye, Bronze Nazareth. Corrupt performed at his wedding. He just had a new yeah. project out with Corrupt. You know, Snoop. He's a record holder, Chris. He Ladies is. and gentlemen, he's a record holder, right? For two things, right? There's two things. One, he got a record today. He's got a, he's, he's got a new record one, today, but the previous one. My, the Guinness World Record is my freestyle record. That that was in the books. Correct. So longest freestyle Correct. rap I had from 2009, 2011. My, what could be a Guinness World Record if I applied for it and all that, and you know, it's every every year I keep working, will just get bigger and better. But I have the most Billboard Top 100 placements as an independent A and R. Okay, so that's, that's a that, flex. That, so that's a flex, and that's another record. But the other record is on Breaking Atoms. That's the yeah. other record because people come and hey, that's a record in oh, itself. Well, so on. we're talking to none other than A and R Extraordinaire M A. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm great. You know, um, so I haven't slept yet. From the night before, but okay. I, uh, you yesterday I slept to like five thirty p.m., which is un unheard of. And my wife did all the parenting duties and stuff, and I've been working and doing. I, I did all the the late night feeds for my daughter. And I just had my first kid, and uh, so I was feeding from about eleven to seven in the morning. And uh, I've already put in a full day of work, and uh, you know I'll sleep later. So, I know what that's yeah. like. I know what that's like when I, I had was... like three coffees already. Yeah, yeah. So I know that I was like, I used to do the same when my kid was born. I didn't sleep in the night and I would just maybe sleep a couple of hours and then just do the whole day. Did that three. It's, it's a crazy yep. thing. But let me ask you before we get yeah. into the real interview, how, how has fatherhood kind of changed for you or, or in your working? Has it, has it put a fire at your belly even more or has it just adjusted I've, things for I've you? I've been planning, you know, like I've wanted to be a parent for years and uh, I've kind of mapped out like my entire life ever since I was in high school. Like by I've lived by like five year plans because I learned that from Rizzo, um, like literally since since then since since my I have my high school years like ninety six to two thousand, and every five year plan I've had has gone according to plan. I make the next plan. The only thing that was the like variable was when I was going to have my first kid, and I'm forty one now, and I thought that would have been by when I was like thirty five, thirty six. So 
I've been planning for it financially, mentally, physically, you know, like all that, all the, all the proper preparation, um, four or five or six years. So it's like, couldn't be more happy, save the money, you know, like built the built the happy home. Um, and yes, I'm having to adjust my hours. Uh, but thus far, my daughter's seven months old and it has not affected, you know, my business side of things at all. Uh, I'm clearly not leaving the house as much, like maybe once a week and it has to be necessary when I have work trips. Like I need to let my wife know, like as far in advance as possible, like, um, Snoop is going to do a tour, uh, with dog pound and Obi Trice and D12 and a few others and a few dates in Australia, a few dates in New Zealand. And that's it, like the end of February through the beginning of March. So I like already, Hey, I need to do this. So, you know, my flight's booked, all that shit's booked. The work's already set aside and all of that. But, um, like, Hey, I want to go see the show Saturday night. She's like, no, uh, you need to be here. So, you know, that's how it goes. I can't just, that's the only thing that's changed. I, I was, you know, constantly out of the house because I need to go to the concerts. I need to go to the sporting events. I need to go to the networking events, all that stuff. And that's how, especially in Los Angeles, new connections are made. Um, thank God for me, my already so solidified in my position, the internet is also a happy medium for me. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, well, congrats. And yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, before I hand over to Chris, I have one question to ask you before I hand over to Chris now. Um, M80 versus the average A&R. Talk me through yep. it. Talk me through it like it's a versus battle. What, what, what's, what, what's the Go difference ahead. between you and average A&R? To me, the answer is this. For the average A&R, you fall into potentially one, two, or three categories. One, you applied for a music job at a label, and whether you had experience or not, you are told this is your job role. If you're an A&R for a label, essentially it's go out and find talent. Here's a list of prey. It used to be way more just like open-ended, like literally go find us the best talent. Because in the 90s, that's what it was. The golden era of rap brought about the best talent because A&Rs were looking for people, label executives were signing people that were just like, you are it. Like just off the talent, the internet wasn't a thing. Like say, hey, what are your streaming analytics or download analytics? That didn't exist. It was literally about like, I think you were just phenomenal. That was, we'll never get back to that. Like that was just a whole anomaly. If you lived through the golden era of rap, safe to say you lived through the best period in time. Okay. So A&Rs and label now, they have this list of like, it's like a checklist. Like when I do my taxes, I have a checklist of what's deductible and not. So go out and find this. And after you find them and you think they're great, do they meet the criteria of this checklist? And it's about streams and, and followers and views and sales and media-based history and pollster history. That, and then if it, if it meets that criteria, then pass it to an executive. And then the executives go through and find a tooth comb it. Then if you get to the executives, then a deal can be put in place. So that's one. You're told what to do. Okay, that's your job. You get paid a salary. The second form of A&R is like the artist is an independent and they want to just give a job to like a friend or a family member. Okay, you know, this is what like put put your team on, put your people on. Because ultimately the team, especially if it's close knit like that, has your best interest at heart. I have no qualms with that. I know plenty of artists that are made millions and millions of dollars to just starting out, like all ends of the spectrum, that they gave that A&R position to a family member or a friend, and it's worked out for them. Me, I, I've i had job offers from record labels. I worked out. Uh, the only label I've ever worked for was RBC Records. I was the VP of A&R. Uh, ultimately, 
how I work and run my business, which their productions and, you know, how they run as a label, there's conflicting interests. And I'm never going to give up running my company because I've spent almost 20 years now building it, right? So that's the only label I've worked for. But I had offers from Def Jam. I had offers from E1, a few others, different studios and stuff like that that would allow me to still run my company. But ultimately, like even at RBC, at best, I was going to the office once a week. Like when you need me. But, you know, I was doing it like how I I was running records to them before I was a VP of A&R. Here's a list of what I'm working on. What do you want and what don't you want? You get what you want. If the deal makes sense, I'll take the rest and keep going from label, label, label. And that's how I do it with Fat Beats. That's how I do it with Cleopatra, with RBC, with Baby Grand, with Nature Sounds, like you name it. Um, so I'm more comfortable in my skin, in my position, because when you see me put my name on a product, like I built that record. So I do, a, my full job as an A&R is out of construction, Legal admin, which is all the copyrights, royalties, publishing, sample clearances, licensing deals, contract reviews, all that shit. Then I shop the deal, the record label deal, the distribution deal. And then once we land the home, then I have a whole new list of responsibilities like PR coordination, radio coordination, tour booking, tour management, licensing, that kind of shit. So I'm way more passionate about the records, the artists, making sure everyone gets a fair shake. Because it wasn't like a stranger. Like, I didn't just find this person and be like, wow, this is what we're going to do. And then let me pass the buck so I get my commission and my salary. Like, I am personally involved from from day. Like, that's how I prefer. I don't want you to hire me to shop a record that you did independently of me. And it kind of undercuts, like, the importance of having me involved. I like to build the records with the artist. And that's the difference. Now, I gained a lot of clients for two reasons. The success of my very first project as an annual, uh, sorry, as an A&R, Wu-Tang Meets the Indie Culture in 2005 was the second highest selling independent album of the year, not just in rap, across all genres of music, rock, country, R&B, hip hop, boom, that's a fact. So a lot of people want to know two things. Who was responsible for this record? I see M80's name on it. I see Riz's name on it. I see Dreddy Kruger's name on it. Everyone played their part. Then... Artists would come to me and find out you're in law school. I, I was that like I was a one uh, one out when we did that record. Like I was there for Riza MF Doom. My first day in the studio was Joel Price, rest in peace. C Ray's Walls, you've got prodigal song. Like you know, uh, I was doing anything and everything that needed to be done. Reviewing of contracts, like literally taking checks and running them to people's offices, getting vitals pressed up and running them to different labels and radio stations when that was still a thing. Uh, and then from Wu Tangity Culture, we moved on to Wise Man and Bronze Dazzler and then Jizza. Um, but then artists and labels both were like, we want to work with you. Like, what else do you have cooking? And some of the reasons were were because, you know, they they thought maybe they could offer me less or I didn't have as much experience as say Rizzo or Dreddy. And other reasons were maybe they were just sick of dealing with Dreddy. Like that was like baby grade came to me like we don't want to work with them. We we'll give you my, the first check they ever offered me was for six figures. And, uh, but I couldn't take it. Like they wanted Wu-Tang Indie Culture 2. They wanted Almighty and they wanted Bronze as sophomore album, which became, um, School, School for the Blind, Blind Men. And ultimately we did the deal for School for the Blind Men and, and Almighty, but we put more money into making Wu-Tang Indie Culture 1. And anytime you do it, like a sequel, like, you know, Heist of the Century 2. 
Liquid Swords 2, some shit like that. Heavy Metal 2, if that ever happened. Like, you don't want it to be. You, you like Fans will already look at it like, this can't be as good as the first. So it's like, if we're working with less money, then I'm not, it makes no sense. Like, I'm not trying to tarnish that legacy. Like, making a sequel to a movie that fucks up the legacy of the first. Um, so, but I got the best best end of both, like, both sides of the coin on that. So, yes, artists kept fucking with me because you're in law school. Tell me, like, what separates you from the other A&Rs. I, my specialty is intellectual property. Advanced college repacks, civil litigation. So I can, ma- I mastered the business of music. I never took the bar. So I have my law degree. I'm a, like Matthew Markoff, JD versus Matthew Markoff, Esquire, ESQ at the end of my name. So I do everything a lawyer does for my clients. The only thing I can do is when we have to take something to court, like sue your record label or, you know, going for back royalties or whatever. Cool. I can draft everything that needs to be drafted. Then we hire counsel and you have to pay the hourly and the retainer, that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I became a one stop shop. So I proved that time and time again with the Wu-Tang releases that moved on to the cannabis releases and Crooked Eye releases and Planet Asia releases and Haas Kingpin. And it just, it never stopped. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't be more proud of it. And I love the fact that other A&Rs and, and music executives that I grew up admiring, but, you know, give me my flowers in real time. Amazing. Thank you. I, I just want to say, I felt a... Uh a twinge of excitement because you said heist of the century two and from is he doing heist of- that's happening we it's at here's the thing you know when when time goes by like how Kanye like always like in real time tweaks an album mix or like you like take a mix down and up on it in my opinion heist of the century two has been done for like three years maybe four okay but it's law's second ever album so when it's like, okay, we're going to drop it in like 2020 and then COVID hits. Okay. We can't drop it. Do you want to work on something else? Well, not really. I mean, yeah, yes and no, but like anything I do has to be big. Cause it's going to be whatever the next album is, is the second album. Okay. He did a bunch of mixtapes and stuff like that. But Law's always been ex- an executive as well. Like Law was signed to Wu-Tang when he was a kid like Shaheen. So if you can't tour an album like Highest Century 2, you're not going to maximize its visibility, its profitability, its marketability, all that. So if we can't tour, pump the brakes. But I mean, there was a photo I posted when Wu-Tang Clan was the first ever rap group to perform at the Ryman Theater in Nashville. And of course it sold out. The next day, me and Lon got together and went through all the album mixes. That was like two, three, four years ago. So in my opinion, it's been done since then. If he wants to go and switch shit up, but um, it's fucking dope. And he used a lot of the same ingredients of High Citizen Tree 1, which is what fans want. Fans hate when, like, you know, oh, you're going to do a Supreme Clientele 2, but not include, like, Rizzo. Like, you know, I'm not saying that's the case, but it's like they want the, the ingredients to be similar. Not exactly 100% the same. It can taste a little different. It can be a little bit more flavorful, but you can't exclude what, you know, made it great in the first place. So Law has, like, you know, the Bugs element, the Havoc element, the Carlos uh, Brody element, that kind of shit, which fans, of course, will love when they finally hear it. Hopefully, in the next 365 days, it'll be great. <laughs> you know, there's a lot I'm of records you, on that album. Fame. That album, I was 17 years old. I bought that album. Like, dude, heist of the century, man. I stand by the album. Carlos Brody is different. He's different. 
He's very different. The, the, the thing about the thing about Lara is he's also a really good guy too. I don't. That's okay. the other thing. Oh, like, he's great. I don't remember. He's a great what, guy, bro. I went to bed. I used to go to record stores specifically, knowing like, okay, I'm going to go buy this today. I don't remember what I went to Best Buy for. It was not the Law of the Dark Man album. But I remember walking through the aisle. You know, this is what Best Buy had like hundreds of fucking rap albums and stuff, and just albums, period. And seeing the giant purple Wu Tang W and not knowing what it was, I'm like, I have to have this as a Wu Tang fan. And I think that's what like was the similar scenario for a lot of fans. Like, you didn't know who Law was yet, but here's this album, here's a W on it. And that album was like independent gold. I think to date it's done with 400,000 record sales. Maybe I mean, with streaming, it's got to be like at least half a billion now. But like literally people bought that record in cassette. I have it on cassette, CD and vinyl. So, you know. Wow. Wow. I want to I wanna go back. You mentioned um, Think Differently, the Wu-Tang meets the indie culture. That record was really pivotal for me because it's around about the time where I was using the internet to, to, to kind of feed oh. my music taste. See? I've got my CD, I might grab it in a bit. So this record here, right? Yes. You know, Little Brother, The Listening, all those albums, I had my own computer, my modem, I'm in my room, just soaking up all this stuff. <laughs> have you got any Have you got any memories from those, those recording sessions and were there any songs that you wanted to put together for that album that didn't happen? Okay. We're in the studio one day. The album, I believe, is like 90, we, we already did the deal. This is after we did the deal with Baby Grant. So... We got the money. We like we're when we did the deal, we were recouped plus already in profit, which happens, which was traditional. Like that's what a signing a deal is for. You that like that's the goal. You want to if you're taking it in advance, you want to be made whole and already profiting way before the album comes out. Okay, so we did the deal, baby. Grim. There's <laughs> this is definitely I think the last day I was in the studio. The engineer, no, I'm sorry, the head of the studio. It was planted to play the recordings comes and tells Drenny that like his most recent check bounced is for thousands of dollars. So he tells me take my key or like my spare key, go to my apartment and get my checkbook. And I'm like, okay. Now I'm not, I, I only lived in New York. I lived in New York for three summers. That was it. I didn't like during the years I lived in San Francisco when I was in law school. So <laughs> I, I wasn't like super proficient in getting around. I just like would hop on any subway and like figure it out, like get off where I can and like walk or whatever. I wasn't taking cabs and Ubers were the thing yet. So I get there. By the by the time I get there, he was already there. And I'm like, how would you beat me? Like, did it make sense? Oh, well, the dude was getting hazy with me and I beat the shit out of him. And uh, I was like, fuck it. I ain't paying for this. He whooped the dude's ass, hopped back to his place, was chilling before I even got there. It made no sense to me. But like I said, I'm not from there, so it probably took me way longer to figure it out. Uh, and if I had to get his checkbook <laughs> and come back, like, who knows what would happen. Uh, there was that. As far as what songs didn't make the cut, that was uh, a few scenarios. Excuse me. Um, there wasn't a lot of records we did for Wu-Tang Culture that didn't make it. I remember there was some, like, there was, like, Priest, who you definitely would have thought would have been on the album. Him and Dreddy were like this. There's another Priest versus made the project. There was a song that most deaf was supposed to get on for Jizz's Pro Tools. I remember the reference, but that didn't end up making it. 
Then I think the song of like slungs under my papyrus or something like that. That was the little rock Marciano and broads and priest. That was either supposed to be Woody Culture or Jizza Pro Tools as well. That ended up being like a Think Differently Lost File track, which Broads never signed off on. So I think we remixed that for Broads as a that we did with Rock Marciano a year year or so back. Um, so there wasn't a lot of Lucy's, and then a lot of like people didn't really understand like the totality of my involvement until they noticed that from that album I never stopped. Like now I'm averaging like 15 to 20 projects a year, albums, EPs, singles, whatever it is. Uh, but for years I caught a lot of flack. Like you were just an A&R admin. You're just a paperwork guy. Like it was way more than that. That's just the credit I got. Like, you know, there's been plenty of projects that my name's not included. Like, and it's usually a Wu-Tang thing. I don't really usually have that problem with anyone else, but you know, to each his own, like I over credit all the projects that I'm in charge of. Because even the person that does the slightest thing, that means the world to them. 150-some albums deep, and the credits still mean way more to me than the dollar. I'll make money every day. I want to, like, the physical product, like, this lives all over a lifetime. When my daughter is old enough, she's going to inherit a fucking cassette collection of 5,000-some cassettes. A CD collection of 10,000-some CDs, 1,000-some vinyls. I hate to be the parent that's like, here's my hard drive. It makes no sense to me. That gives the child no appreciation for the art. So that's why the credits on the physical product mean so much to me. And I've really had to fight for a lot of these credits. Like, and I've ended relationships for not getting the credits after the work is done. But um, I think a lot of Wu Chang fans, hip hop fans, period, understood M80 really is like the worker bee behind all this shit. Like, and and I I don't mind, like, I can be the leader, I can be the soldier. I will always play my role. I try not to ever overstep the boundaries, and I have, you know, like, artists that, I appreciate when artists tell me straight up, like, you're doing too much right now, or maybe you're not doing enough. Maybe you're putting too much of your eggs in this basket where you need to take some of those eggs out and spread it around. So that's the beauty of it. I hate having to, like, have regrets after the fact because, a lot of times, people suck at communicating. I got, like, friends all day that, you know, I check in on. Are you good? They check in on me. Am I good kind of shit? Like, it's it's serious out here, and it is really unfortunate that, like, I, I hate the, the communication boundaries. Like, I really appreciate when I get on a call with Corrupt, and he can check me if he needs to. Or we can just have that talk. It doesn't always have to be business. I have a lot of these talks with cannabis. I have a lot of these talks with Chino XL, with Crooked Out, with Asia. And that's why those are the people closest to me. Because it's not just about, okay, what are we doing now? What's the next check? Um, but back to the, the main point, fans from the Wu that I that I gained outside of me being and maybe the rapper, because Wu Tangity Culture was the first AR project. Eventually, after say four or five years of the album, where it's really understood that, okay, this dude's fucking working then dreddy went through a long like string of just these bootleg mixtapes like like every mixtape was some bootleg shit like ray and ghost united ray and ghost were fucking furious like they didn't get a dollar from that a d'angelo mixtape who the fuck gave you authorization to a d'angelo mixtape like you know they weren't just like street tapes like he was selling these shits like selling them selling them uh, you know, like when you saw like Gangster Girls, that's like authorized. Like Little Wayne's working with DJ Drama. It's official shit, you know? 
So then people really started to understand, okay, M80 probably had a greater stake in this than we were giving him credit for. Uh, then Dreddy released Integrity Culture 2, or think differently, 2, whatever the fuck it was called. And, you know, that did a, a probably 0.1% of what Integrity Culture of the original did. So, you know, I, 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 I like, even though Dreddy and I don't see eye to eye and we haven't spoke in probably since like 08, um, this, this helped change my life. Mm. You know? I really, I really, I really love that album. It means a lot to me. And thank you for answering so thoroughly. When we had Bronze Nazareth on the show, he said, he said something similar, like, you know, that album really kind of in terms of his career trajectory yeah. really set him it, on like, that path. Like, like I said, Dreddy and I don't work together anymore. Priest and I don't talk anymore. Bronze, because of that record, Bronze and I have worked together every year since then. All what, the, what it comes down to when you're working with someone over the course of five years, 10 years, 15 years, it's about the quality of the person you are, Tim. That's what it comes down to. And Bronze clearly is a better human being, to, in my eyes, than the latter. Okay? And, you know, like, we know each other's families. We put money, like, you know, like bro, after, I think the first thing we did after Wu-Tang Culture was Bronze did a verse. Oh, sorry. After Wu-Tang Culture, after Great Migration, Bronze did a verse on my album, Himself and Street Songs. And I, like, I was really nervous to ask him. Because, like, I, like, I wasn't asking a favor, but even asking, like, even when you're paying someone, like, it's, you know, like, I didn't want to overstep my boundaries. You know, like, the first time after after meeting Priest and Dreddy and Jizza and Rizzo and people like that, my first trip to New York ever was to work on my album, uh, The Eleventh Hour, where I had, like, a couple songs with Priest and Rhyme Fast and Desert Ease and people like that and Dreddy, and it's like, even then, it, it's not about the might of me. Maybe it's just some of them, maybe it's just about the money, but it's like, does the shit make sense? You know, was it, was it meshing to, you know, and it, again, so even though, like I said, Priest and I are funny buddy and shit, like, that was big for me. Even if it meant nothing to them. Like, that was my highest selling solo album. It helped me, like, I, I was doing shows for like three, four grand a pop, which is fucking nuts in comparison to the fact, like, local artists now are do shows for free or like for 50 or 100 bucks of shit you know so like i find i i see the beauty through all the fuckery like dreddy will never work ever 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 but like i said that album is a shining star for me priest and i i don't have any desire to ever make that relationship right but i i'm not gonna pretend like he didn't fucking put me on with the clan and like he didn't include me in the making of six or seven of his albums and helped me trap all the world and shit like that. Like, it's like, I'd be crazy not to. I love his family. I don't have to love that guy and I don't have to, like, wish that there's a future. But I'm very happy through the fuckery of everything that we've accomplished and everything I will continue to accomplish. And I, I will never forget my origin story. Uh, the origin story. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I mean, by the way, I want to say, like, I've, we've got questions here, and you are literally answering these questions before we <laughs> even ask them. Not, I'm just letting you know that. I'll, I'll, like, you're good at this, one man. One more point on that. It really fucking, like, kills me. I don't know if that's the right word. It, it irks me. It pains me. When you see artists or people talk like, no one ever did nothing for me. 
I got out the mud. It was all me. And that's never true. It's never true, dude. Like, people just don't want to, like, take, like, you saw when Eminem gave his, like, uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech and banked, like, damn near every influence he's ever had in his life. That's me. I'm that person, like, fuck with you. Don't fuck with you. Thank you for helping me do this. Thank you for this. Thank you for teaching me this. Like, I'm, even though, like, I teach my A&R seminars every Tuesday and give game, there are other days of the week I'm like needing game from others. I don't know it all, but it's like, you'd be insane to think you know it all and, and cut off people that can provide you this knowledge. Like I didn't, Rizzo wasn't teaching courses on how to be the best executive. I learned from watching. I like the people hate me for saying this. One of the biggest lessons I learned from working with all these artists, because they're all older than me. I'm 41 now. The, you know, the average artist I work with now is 50 plus. Okay. And I'm trying to get back into like finding more 20 and 30 year olds and stuff like that. But you know, it's still, it's still busy with me. But the main thing I learned is what not to do fiscally because a lot of these dudes never touched money. Like, you know, MC hammer did, but a lot of them fucked it off. Like the well was never going to run dry. So that's one of the things I watched. Like, and I, I let me, let me save my money. Let me spend money where necessary. Yes, I own some lavish shit. I've had I'm on my fourth Maybach. Pretty fucking lavish. Boy, don't get shit. You know, but <laughs> my daughter is set up. Retirement fund is in place. That kind of stuff. And it's like when I have an exceptional year in business financially, I take that with a grain of salt. Because I revert back to all my other tax forms and and my my yearly accounting statements. What is my average year? So that's what it is. And I think a lot of people don't live like that. And I'm very fortunate that I do. And not to discredit those that I learn from, but it's like, thank you. Like someone's got to fuck up. Someone's got to go through the trial and error of it. So, you know, teach me so I can avoid the error. And I'm sure I've provided the trial and error for a lot of people that watch me. Like, I learned from your Steve Rifkins and your Rick Rubens, your Leo Cohen's. Now, this fucks people up, and it's not it's not me being a Medwell maniac or egotistical. To those that watch me, perhaps I am your Rick Rubin. Perhaps I am your Steve Rifkin. If you're younger than me, you get it? You're not. You weren't there for that era. You're there for what's going on now in M80 world. Now, yeah, I have, a, I have I a responsibility that's far greater than me because people need to learn. Like, I know so many people, oh, man, I got presented with this whack-ass record deal, contract, blah, 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 blah. I ain't signed in that. Like, you know, I'm just going to keep getting better with time, see what happens. I'm like, send me the contract. And I look at it clearly with the knowledge and the experience of seeing hundreds of these over the years. And I'm like, wow, you definitely should have signed this. Like, what do you mean? Like, they think because what they see on TV that everyone's supposed to just get millions of dollars. Like, when the reality of is, if you're a product, like, when you're offered a contract for millions of bucks, it's for one of two reasons. One, you're already putting up the numbers to show that you're worth that money, but chances are you're not. Chances are it's the label taking a chance on you. Like, remember Cray Sean? Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Cray Sean got like a two, three million dollar advance budget for her shit because. They thought that, you know, everyone loved that Gucci, Gucci, Louie, Louie, Fendi, Fendi, Prada. Right, that song. Right, right, I still right. love that fucking song. But <laughs> the point is, that's all they loved. Her album came out the first week. It did like three 
$3,000 in sales or 3,000 units. What are those numbers? That's far from making back millions of bucks, right? And that was that was it. So it's like this, the, a lot of the label has aren't investing just crazy money into what's talent, like I said, was indicative of the golden era. Because they did that in the golden era because they could recycle the same marketing plan, put you on the same tour cycle, the same promo cycle. And then you do that for a couple of years, then drop your next project and we're going to release that. It's the same program over and over and over. That was baby grand records to us in the 2000s. Whether, whether it was Wu-Tang, whether it was Dipset, whether it was Jedi Mind Tricks, same one sheet rollout, same marketing rollout, same fucking budgets. Make it happen. Like it didn't matter. There was no, there's no individuality to any of those projects. I, I I've literally had them sign six figures worth of deals without ever hearing a single second of music. It's just what what does this one sheet look like? We can win off of how many famous features you have, how many famous producers, blah blah blah. But um Fuck. I hate when I lose my my, my poor heart. No, you 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 you're good. You're good. I think I think there's a lot of things hey, that you're oh, saying oh, oh, oh. that would resonate. So, go on, go on. Now you're not getting what you you're not getting these million dollar deals. Like mm -hmm. most importantly is what are the percentage splits? I was brokering a deal for weeks. Sometimes it takes months. Like in, in my in the service packet, I usually say it takes three to six months on the shopping side of it because labels don't they move at their pace, not how you want to move, unless you're like literally that high in demand. So we got to the final point of the deal. We agreed on the money. But ultimately, we didn't agree on the percentage splits. Now, for an artist that makes money, like they sell, they have a sales history, they make touring money, they make, you know, like licensing money. The money's irrelevant. You make money. It's about how much you make per unit, how much, you know, you're going to see on your physicals, how much you're going to see on your digital. So the deal was killed. We spent weeks negotiating it, getting it to the point, and we got to the money point. Like I said, that's so artists just see how much money am i getting right now and labels if you over ask for the money they think that you don't believe in yourself you don't believe in your product so therefore maybe we maybe we just don't sign you let's see what you do on your own for the next year or two so a lot of these artists that don't have the knowledge of what you should be seeking in a record deal or a distribution deal are shooting themselves in the foot would they really be being presented with great deals but oh i saw this guy got 10 million bucks they wanted to give me half a million Bro, I've only negotiated a handful of half a million dollar advances in my 18, 19 years. Like, you're fucking crazy. You stop stop pretending like you know what it is. All right? And that's, you know, so there's so many elements to that. But I'll let you guys get back on the question. I care that much oh. about seeing people yeah. do the right thing. That I hate. Yeah. I tell people, if I have to care more about you and your product than you do, chances are it's not going to work because I'm going to get mad at you facts. and then we're going to fall out. Facts, you know? facts, facts. No, I think look, money management, generally speaking, when it comes to entertainers, athletes, is a big problem in in, in itself when it comes to hip-hop culture and it's permeated from, from tribe, right? Industry, you know, rule. It's from that <laughs> yeah. point onwards, we've gone from that point onwards to with this distrust is, you know, the t stealing and... You need people like yourself with the know-how, you know, with you know the experience. You never gave me any shit? Not once. Never. Rest Ugh. in peace, DMX. Yeah. We're together for... Rest in peace. God, like four years, five years. DMX's mm. last ever Instagram post was for me. And, it was, and the, whoever took over the social media deleted it. Which, in, I mean, 
it was for the merch. Like we had the leftover tour merch. We we launched it like two weeks before it passed. And of course it went crazy. But I'm pretty sure the family got more bread from me than than the the big bulletin Kanye West gives a million dollars to the family. That shit went to pay all those expenses and stuff. So that that was a very misleading headline. Um never once gave me shit, dude. Super good guy. I love that, dude. You like I got I got artists that I have to like yell at and be yelled at every day. Not once with DMX ever. And like we didn't like, you know, even though we worked together for like four or five years, it was very far and few. Like, here's a show, here's a feature, here's a video shoot. Like I, I tried to broker this they wanted to make a movie out of Damien that would have been fucking oh, wow. awesome. Shout out to Adler Music Group, shout out to Foundation Media. Um that was a seven-figure check that we left on the table. That sucked. But never, never, just just all good experiences. And I can't say that about a lot of the artists I work with. So I'm very proud that I can say that with my experiences with DMX, you know, who who not yeah, only yeah. wasn't always painted in the finest light. No, no. He, 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 he you know, there's a lot of um, mistruths about DMX, but those who know him and those around him will tell you he was the most kindest guy in the world, always looked out for his people. And always wanted to do the right thing, even from his. You hear the stuff when he was an actor on on movie sets, and and how he just have his friends just come over in Canada. Like he, you know, you hear stories about DMX, and you just know that he he had people's interest at heart, even if if those didn't have his right. on on the other right. end. Um, let's we'll get back to the music very quickly. Um, which way I want to go with this? If you had the opportunity, right? What albums would you have A and R? This take fifty years of hip hop. If you had the opportunity, if you if it came to you, albums are done. What albums? Let's pluralize it. Would you want to want to have a and Given you know you know you you like this rap shit too. I think it's easier for me to answer like, what artists would I have liked to work with? Maybe that I haven't. It's probably okay. easier. Okay, but I'll Let's try to that. answer it both that. ways. I don't know. Like and again, it probably never happened, but. I would have loved to say that I worked on a Scarface album. Always been one of my favorite artists. Always. Um, one artist that I've never worked with that I think I can work with and will in the future is Exhibit. Um, an album I really... If there's another Wu-Tang Clan album, I think I should definitely be a part of it. I think that proven myself... From doing all the records from your Killer Priests to your Timbo Kings to your 60, 60 Second Assassins, your Bronson, your Wiseman. Not to say Rizzo didn't care, but it's like clearly those were top priority Rizzo records, right? To working my way up to doing Capadonna albums. To my, I've worked, I, I did the A side, B side for Master Killer Selling My Soul. There's a Master Killer album called Balance coming out that I I and the single for. I, I don't know if I can talk about it, but that album's dope as shit. Um, to doing work on Jizza Pro Tools, to executive producing a Ghostface Killer album. And now here's this. I don't know how people are gonna feel about this or not, but they, you know, they said, okay, well, Ghostface is in charge of the next Wu Tang album. That sounds awesome in theory because we all love Ghostface albums, right? I think. The best Wu-Tang Clan album in the year 2023 moving forward would only be if it was executive produced by Raekwon. I feel very strongly about that. 
I agree with you. By the way, I agree with you on this. I agree with I you. I think Ray, wholeheartedly. I've seen all their business, you know, like, and Ray, I think is the most business savvy. Gets the job done. I mean, dude, look, the best Wu-Tang related album to come out in the past, like, what, 10 or 15 years? To me, it's not even debatable. Is only vote for Cuban Links too. Agreed. Who made that? Ray Kwan. You give that man the fucking crown and let him run and make the next Wu-Tang Clan out. If RZA doesn't want to, of course. But arguably everyone's least favorite Wu-Tang album is A Better Tomorrow. So do the exact opposite of that. And then I'm putting and then my hand up, potentially by the way. have I'm, an album that ranks this, as this, good as 36 Chambers, good listen, as Wu-Tang Forever. So Raekwon, Raekwon's ear is incredible. He knows how to put albums together. Mm-hmm. He know he he's he's an MC, so he can help you know with and any, he has any a solid any he has a solid team around. Shout out to Sue, exactly. Shout out to Don, you know. And it's like and brief, and everyone's just on point. So that's how I feel about that. But I would of course want to be involved in a Wu Tang Clan album. I like that. That that there's that. You know, involve me. Don't I, I worked on a couple sessions. I'm not better tomorrow than didn't end up making the album. So I'm not fucked up about that. Like, you know, um, <laughs> but I love, I love, <laughs> I love a diagrams. I love the, um, uh, I don't know, fucking the W all them, all the shits. I'm just not a super big a diagram or a uh, uh, better tomorrow person, but man, I'm definitely trying to convince people like, no, just keep listening to it. It'll grow on you. And they're like, bro, I ain't listening to it. 50 fucking times I, I, I like it so I, I'm gonna be honest with you MAE yes. um, I'm a Wu-Tang head innit like I buy it. if it's got Wu-Tang on it I'll buy it thank you I bought a bit of Tomorrow out of loyalty yeah, yeah of course loyalty <laughs> I bought it and I listened to it and I had to say something in my in my soul I whispered it to myself I've never said this publicly I'm like nah this ain't it this ain't yeah. it it's okay. These things happen. Yeah, you know, bro, these, these, these they things do happen. Publicly. They do. This it do happen. It happens. And that's it's, what sparked the, the, the conversation originally. Well, maybe we let someone other than RZA executive produce the next one. And hence, they were brand in the press that Ghostface was going to do it. Now, when I was making the Lost Tapes and why I say that Raekwon should be in charge for the next album, to give you some insight, when I was working the Ghostface album and meeting with Ghost Manager, a few times he played me like beats they were considering for the album. He, and I'd look at him and his face would be lit up like, yeah. And I'm like, no. And I don't think that would happen with Ray. Because I, I remember sitting in a couple of studio sessions with Ray when he was doing, um, what was it, Wu-Tang versus Shaolin or Shaolin versus Wu-Tang? That and then playing beats and I was like, yeah. And they were like, yeah. And that, like, when everyone's like, yeah, that's what it is. But when I heard some of these beats, I'm like, we're considering these for the next Wu-Tang album. I'm like, like I wouldn't use these I, I, for anything. I don't know if it's I don't know what it is about Ray. Maybe it's his root his root. He loves R and B, and maybe that has a good grounding, a good uh-huh. foundation because of the the rhythm, the groove. I, I know, know, you know, I know the he answer. just knows how to make. Go on. Ray Kwan is an example of someone that has experienced the highs and the lows, but at his core, he still cares. He genuinely cares about what he gives to the world. That's why you don't just get a Raekwon project every year. Like he cares. Like when he released for whatever reasons, people people have a lot of speculation as to why he just dropped like three records in a row, like uh 
Cuban Wings 2 and what was it? The Wild and Fila, I think was the other one. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. But they're all great to me. They're all different and they're all quality. But if Ray still cares, I know all of them don't care like that. So because, like, and that's why people respect me as an A&R. You don't see me dimbling and dabbling in television and film. I've had offers. I still daily care about being the best A&R. I want to do the most, not the most albums, the most quality albums. Yes, I want to build that status. I want to say I have 50 Billboard Top 100s, or I want to say I had 20 Golden Platinum Plats. Who wouldn't? But at the same time, I'm just not throwing my name on anything and everything. It has to make sense. I'm very proud of what you see on the walls behind me that extend all the way into my fucking halls in my house. So Ray cares. And he would give Wu-Tang Clan, in my opinion, the best out. Chris, go ahead, man. Boy, I mean, listen, man. Listen, my, my inner Wu-Tang child is very excited. I, I just like, just want you to know that. By the way, and mate, you were talking about you got a lot of lavish things, right? I saw a picture of you. And you had this Wu-Tang jacket, had the, the, the W on the front. Like, I need me one of those. That was, see, those are Ray Kwan jackets. Ray, Ray did those with A-Life. I had, and, and this was awesome. So I live in LA. They were only sold at the A-Life store in New York. And I called my friend Bridget. And I said, look, I need you to go to the store. And she's like, is there going to be a line? I'm like, probably, but you can skip it. It's like, so go and get me the jacket. It'll be on hold for me. You can literally just pick it up, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, so they sent me one and I ended up getting a second one and I gave the second one to cannabis because cannabis saw me wear it. And he's like, that's the coolest jacket ever. I mean, it looks like a bulletproof fucking like Batman suit, you know, that's why I wanted. Yeah. So I, (laughs) I, I got, I gave my second one to cannabis. I don't know if you could even find anyone selling that online. Um, it's, it's like as rare, if not more rare than the RIP ODB jacket. Um, and I ended up selling that to somebody, like, but I wore it in the famous video with Red Man where he tells me I'm his life skin brother and shit. Uh, but so, so Bridget gets there to the A Life store. She's like, dude, there's a line like a mile long. I'm like, just go to the front, tell him you're with M80 and you're picking up a shit. And she's like, oh, that was easy. All right, great. Yeah, like in and out kind of shit. So, yeah, but that jacket was fucking sick. Now, you saw the jacket I just got. Hold on. No, we hold got, on, man. The, the outcast this, one. This is the outcast one, right? Yes. All right, look, the tag. Okay. The tags are still on this bitch. This oh, is an original Outcast leather. Outcast clothing company. That's fine. 2003, dude. That's fine. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I, I can't wow. Out. Yeah. But I, so I, those I, on I YouTube can just see, those on YouTube who will be watching this on YouTube can see what's in the inside of the jacket, and that is absolute yeah. fire. Fire. Yeah, that was a nice bonus. I'm like, oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about... Um, Another album that you worked on that I, I really love, uh, A Moment in Time. Um, talk about the, the first Almighty album, um, Original Sin, and just the concept of putting that project together. And I have to salute Higher the Height. Is it Handle the Heights? Handle Keith the Murray, Heights. Cannabis, Bronze. Listen, when I heard that on the Baby Grand website, I said, ooh, we, I'm buying that. Sandbox Automatic, if you know what time it is, Sandbox you know what time it is. Talk to me, MA, putting that I, album together. I have one sibling, I have an older brother. When I played him Handle the Heights, he goes, who produced that? I said, Bronze Nazareth. And he knows who Bronze is. He's like, he gave you that beat for this? Like, couldn't believe it. Like, he was just so taken by that by that beat, which we all were, of course. I will tell you this. this I was fucking furious. So there's a song on the Almighty album. It's called Now or Never. It's featuring Solomon Childs. It's produced by Calvar 7. 
Rollins, when he gave us the album Master, swapped that beat. I had never heard, like, you know, when you, by the time an album goes to mastering and you're making the project, you listen to it like 50 times before you get the final version and other 50 times before the fans ever hear it. So, Bronze, there was a different beat. And Bronze said, yo, Ghostface wants the beat. I'm like, no, Ghostface can't have it. It's for, but you know, that like when you get a check from like Ghostface or Rizzo or something like that, like, you know, like it's substantial. So I couldn't. I'm not about to like match a Ghostface offer or whatever or the fuck, but Ghostface, you know, all these years later, never used it. And I think Bronze, it came out somewhere. I'll have to find it, but it was so hard, bro. So when you, you know, you'll go back and listen, when I find it, you'll go back and listen to the acapella, whatever. Now, never throw it over top and be like, oh, okay. But I, I was not happy for, and it just, I couldn't, I couldn't digest the song with this beat. I never heard on it after listening to it a different way for you know months but almighty the idea came like this i was running my the myspace page for like priest for think differently for all these artists in the myspace days we were killing it and i was in law school but like between people writing to book shows or get features for the albums or fucking get like promo drops before cameos inspector deck used to tell me i was the 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 uh, the drop king I'd always be around. I'm like, I need a drop for this. I need a drop for this. I need a drop for this. Like, just like, for why? What? 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 I, no one understood. But it was like, okay, you know, I'm getting brand for this shit. Um, <laughs> or it's for a project I'm working on. So I lived in Indianapolis after I graduated from law school in San Francisco. I graduated in like 07 and moved back in January 08. Priest lived in LA. Every time I'd get him feature work, I would then fly, fly to LA because I just love to go to LA. Like, I mean, I live in Indiana. I'd love to go anywhere. You know, and have him do the features and then be like, hey, can you put a verse on this? <laughs> and just, you know, throw him a little extra bread on top of the fact I'm giving him all the money and not taking cuts from the other people's shit. So, Priest did, uh, I think he's on 10 tracks, if I'm not mistaken. He's on a few. Yeah, he, I mean, I he's like, you know, he was the marquee artist of, of Almighty. Like, yeah, it's my brainchild, but you're the one that's going to fucking walk these dogs. So I was going to LA fucking, and Priest is doing a couple of joints at a time. Then I hit C-Ray's Walls, and Walls was managed by my mentor, Rest in Peace, one of my three mentors, Rest in Peace, Rod Miner, DJ Indiana Jones. So Walls loved the idea because he loved Priest. You know, like, all right, cool. Like, so then Priest does all his shit. I send the references for everything. And then Walls does his shit. Then we, down the road, C-Ray ended up living with me for six months. But um, then Five Star was a protege of Inspector Deck. He's in a group Desert Ease. Desert Ease was featured on the 11th Hour album. So I, I had a relationship with them. We'd bounce, we'd we run in a similar circle doing shows in the Midwest between Michigan and Indiana and Illinois and shit like that. So we still talk to this day. So then, you know, five star lays all the verses. Son one was my protege that literally when I was recording, uh, hymn songs and street songs, I lived in San Francisco, but because it was cheaper to record in Indiana, I flew back like to Indiana, did that whole shit. He was just at the studio when I got there one day and I'm like, you rap. He's like, yeah, I'm like rap for me. He just blew me away. So literally, I'm like, what do you, like, he just finished a session. He was waiting for a ride. 
I'm like, put a verse on this. And the first song we did together was me. It's called Revolution. Me, Tragedy Gaddafi, and uh, SAS, uh, which was a reggae artist, not to be mistaken for the SAS in London, right? Um, and then, so that, that that made sense. Make someone a part of Almighty, so he has a record deal, and then can parlay the situation into a solo deal, you know, which never happened, but that was my my thought at the time. Uh, and then Bronze Desert. Me and Bronze had the relationship, and of course, I wanted him to produce the bulk of the album. I wanted him to rhyme. Uh, the only crazy story that people don't know, I mean, I've talked about it a couple of times, but it usually people just like tune it out. The last ever time I went to LA, Priest had to do three songs. That was it. We're done. I'm there for seven days. Plenty of time for us to go party, to fucking get drunk, to holler bitches, to record and go over what else he's working on. So like during those trips, there's when we like also worked on uh, like behind the stained glass, um, the offering was fresh and out, you know, and so priest was, priest was riding away. Like priest's name was mentioned in a lot of the same highlights as little Wayne. People were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Little Wayne was dropping mad material, which inspired priest to do the same thing. Like, so the offering was literally priest hasn't been so popular since like heavy mental and then we got almighty so i was i felt great about the positioning of the album uh so the first day we go to the studio he knocks out one verse i'm like sweet two more to go the next day knocks out the second black of verse like one more song baby we're we got five days to do it third day <laughs> third day Go to the airport. I'm like, what are we doing? He's like, I got some artists flying in that I want to sign. I need your help, like signing these people. I'm like, okay. Like, they're called the Vendetta Kings. I'm like, all right. You're going to sign them to Proverbs Records, which was, I, I always laugh because Priest has never, there's no artists on Proverbs Records. Just like there was never any artists on Jizz's label with, with Swords Entertainment, you know? Or there's no artists on fucking Ghostface's label, the Starks Enterprise or whatever the fuck. Riz is the only one that ran like a successful like label label, you know. Um, you know what? I take that back. Raekwon has Icewater H two O, and clearly did great with Capone Noriega. Um, <laughs> so we pick these dudes up from the airport. We go to the studio. I'm like, all right, here's the last song. I'm paying for these fucking sessions. Priest, however, these guys just are taking over the session. And it's like, you know, Priest, listen to this. And Priest's like, all right, I'm going to write to this. I'm going to do this for them. And uh, it, it got asinine, bro. It was really fucking annoying. So, like, we lose the third day. We lose, I think the fourth day, there was no studio at all. Like, we were just hanging out and shit. The fifth day, we go to the studio. Same shit. Nothing. I can't remember off the top of my head what the last song he was supposed to vocal that didn't happen was. But the sixth day, so I'm only there for there, there and another day. We're at this studio in Orange, California. And I'm like, Priest, you have to do this record tonight. He's like, I will. Okay. He starts writing to it. Started writing. I watched it. Okay. The, the fucking beats playing. These <laughs> Vendetta King dudes hold the same shit. And I'm like, I'm beside myself. They're like, yo, man, Priest, do this. And Priest literally stops writing to this record. 
start. I'm like, yo, I'm all oh my all right. I'm not biting my tongue anymore. With the bullshit, I'm paying for the session. You're getting paid. Do this record. He's like, don't talk to me like that. I'll 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 do it. It'll get done. I'm like, no, now get the fuck out of my face, or we're gonna fight. I'm like, let's fight. The whole fucking studio moves like shares him like he gets up and then this is <laughs> he's throwing punches i'm fucking dodging this shit like matrix bullets bro and priest is three fucking times my size okay he's three times everyone's size right thank god we <laughs> locked down in heaven we locked in he pushes me back to the wall all right like the whole control room of the studio is moving it's shifting we lock hands. I do this. <laughs> and all I hear is the fuck. And he, and he leaves. He leaves the room. And everyone's like looking at me like, what the fuck would you do? Like, you pissed him off. I'm like, worried about if I pissed him off. He and his friend Tiffany, rest in peace, get in the car. The Vendetta King dudes go with them. Another dude that was there, his guy Naptali, I think, goes with them. They all leave. They left me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I'm staying at Priest's house. <laughs> and Uber is not a thing. Taxis only exist. I call a taxi. Uh, how much money is it to get from Orange, California to Manhattan Beach? As like 150 bucks. I'm like, I have $20. <laughs> Fine. Okay. So the, the, the studio guy was like, you got to get the fuck out of here. Where the fuck am I going to go? So I walk for like a mile, maybe two miles. And I find a 24 hour Denny's. I'm like, thank God. I can hang out here until I figure it out. I walk in the bathroom at Denny's and I see I'm, I got a little blood coming out of my face. So he never landed any punches, but he had nails. He scratched me. Uh, I didn't feel it at the time because the adrenaline's fucking through the roof. Scratch me, and I went, cool, all right. Eventually, I got a hold of this dude, Novocaine. Thank God. He was in a group called, like, uh, American Poets, uh, him and Pro the Leader and other people. He came and picked me up at, like, 5 in the morning. Drove, and he knew where Priest lived. Because I, I couldn't tell you. Like, I just, I, I don't think I've memorized the address. I'm directly challenged. Always have been. Took me to Priest's house. The fucking front door was unlocked. Or no, I called I called this other dude, Priest, that Priest lived with this guy named Coley. Coley unlocked the door. I went to the guest bedroom and laid down. Priest came in the guest bedroom like 8 in the morning. He was like, what are you doing here? I'm like, leave me alone, dude. Fuck off. Priest and, and Tiffany go out to breakfast the next morning. And he's like, she's like, what you did to M80 was wrong. Like, one, he's like a kid. Priest is like, what? He's like, and then he's younger than all of us. He's like 20. And Bruce's like, oh, I always forget that shit. And he's paying for the time. These dudes you want to sign aren't that great. And Priest didn't sign them. But I think they ended up doing a project together. That was a nice consolation. Um, which also calls shit. That's a whole other story, though. Uh, and then, like, and then he's paying for all this. Like, you you chose to. And that's one of Priest's problems. He's so friendly and nice. That like he and he doesn't care about money. Like he doesn't. He's not business savvy like that. He's like really like heavy metal. I'm a space cadet with the uh, space cadet with a tape cassette play. Like that's him. Just fucking go with the flow, kind of guy. See what life brings you. 
I'm not that. I'm more meticulous and calculated and shit. So he apologizes to me the next day. After, uh, you know, Tiffany finally put rad like ration in his head. But he came back to the house and he had a fucking the, the metal sling on the finger. And he's like, you broke my finger, you dick. Dude, I had to do something to not get killed. So I was like, I was like, you know, that means I won the fight, right? I got a scratch and you had a broken finger. So that was our ongoing joke. Like, I beat a priest. I I, I, I wanted a fight with a priest. Now, that would clearly never happen again. But, fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, who's to say? Anyone, any, anyone can win in a fight. It doesn't matter how big you are. It's about, yeah, it's, true. it's really about how much you want to win the fight. Like, mm. and then when that adrenaline that. goes off as well, yeah. When the adrenaline goes off, like, I've seen small people. Put some big people down. I'll tell you. I'll like, tell you this. Oh snap! Um, a few months back, it doesn't matter who or what. This is funny. Uh, an artist punched me in the face. Okay, and then called a few people and told them, "Yeah, this is what I did." And I was laughing, and he's like, "Why are you laughing about it?" I'm like, "Bro, you are humongous. You punched me in the face, and I didn't fall over." My face looks exactly like it did before you punched me. I'm like, I, I'm laughing because if you're calling people to tell them and you didn't knock me the fuck out or put me to, uh, or knock me up the conscious or kill me, I would have kept that to myself. It's kind of embarrassing, actually, when you think about it. And they're like, looked at me like, you can tell for a second it kind of like understood what the fuck I was saying. I mean, yeah, so there's that. But uh, sometimes you got to go there. I mean, I've had to fucking pistol whip a few people in my day. I mean, the fuck, I mean, bro, I had hundreds of weapons in my house at various <laughs> points in my life. Like, so everyone that, and funny, it's priest, the following a priest is super unfortunate because he's the only one who knew, like, bro, I mean, he was in prison. I mean, he did this, 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 like, oh, and other people are like, no, I like, yeah. So it's like, don't get it fucked up because you see me all happy go lucky when I'm doing my internet shit or super like business savvy, like, that's what that's the side of me I choose to give you at that time. Like yeah. but Priest was around me so much, like, you know, we'd go on tours and be like, bro, yeah, you're the M80s here racking up higher bitch numbers than we're again. We're the damn headliners. Like I did a whole tour of Planet Asia where that was the most ongoing joke. I'm like, bro, it's you're you're the headlining act and I'm destroying you with numbers, game here. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. not gonna say anything. I'm not saying anything to that. I am not condoning any. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just here. We're just here to listen to the stories. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, man. Give yeah, them, dude. Like, it. like, it's an all, <laughs> that's the best part of being, but no one ever questions, like, oh, is this sort of these real stories? Like, my brother one time, who's the closest person to me, he's like, you had so many stories with Dave Chappelle. I don't, I don't believe it. I'm like, why? Why would you not believe it? Like, there's about, like, us hanging out at Chappelle's house or us doing this. Blah, blah, blah. So one time Dave Chappelle comes to Indianapolis. I'm living in LA at the time. And my brother worked for Live Nation. So after after the show, they all the Live Nation people got to meet Dave Chappelle. And Dave was Dave only likes to he likes strip clubs. So they all went with Dave to a strip club. I think it was the Red Garden in Indianapolis. And my brother sits down next to Dave. It was like, hey, amazing show. And he's like, thank you. Thank you very much. It's like, I have to ask you something. Been eating me up inside for years. I need to know. He's like, "What do you need to know?" My brother has all these stories about hanging out with you, and like, like talks to you, and like, kicks it with you and shit. And 
I believe all his stories because he he works in music and does this, but I'm only I've never believed any of his stories about kicking it with you. He's like, What's your brother's name? It's like uh M A he goes by M eighty. He works with Wu Tang. I want to be a brother. Call him right now. Out of a depth. So Steve calls me, puts me on the phone with Dave. He's like, This is your brother? I'm like, That's my brother Steve. He gave my brother said he gave him like a thousand dollars and told him like he like sit down next to me at the at the stripper row and throw the money. Like the last time I was in a strip club, I was with like like a you know, a few rap friends and shit. And I had a really good day of business to the tune of like 50 grand. So I, I, you know, spread the love and shit. So I totally identified with Dame's graciousness to my brother. But my brother was like, I will never doubt you again. At like, okay, all right, we're good now. We're, there you go. There. You know, my brother, my brother and, and my parents have, have, you know, my brother works in music. My parents don't, but they've got to, you know, ride the wave for a lot of the coolest moments of my life. Like, uh, my 28th birthday party fell on a Tuesday in Indianapolis. And I promoted concerts and shit for many years there. I had Snoop Dogg, Dog Pound, Red and Meth, and Def and the Dude perform in Indianapolis on my birthday. For like, we hung out with Red and Meth all day, had lunch, went shopping. Then at night, my parents, my brother, my friends, my brother's wife all got to meet Snoop, get him, you know, go on the bus, meet him, like get their pictures and shit like that. Me and Corrupt had drinks and shit at the bar. The whole family's there. And Red and Beth bring me on stage and wish me happy birthday. And like, thank God someone captured that on film. So it's like, you know, they, they've been there. Like my dad's met Rizzo and Jizzo and the clan. And like my dad released the book and you got released the books. So and watching the two of them talk about their fucking respective books was fucking awesome. Um, you know, my mom of like, you know, like my great, a lot of this is what meant the most. Like artists like Priest and Cheeto XL and Ice T, like, my grandma's favorite person in the world was Ice T. She loved, you know, him as the actor. So like, I got Ice T to like talk to my grandma on the phone one time. I'd bring when we tour the Midwest, I would bring these famous rappers to my grandma's house and they'd hang out with her for the day. So like, you know, that's that's cool shit. It's so much deeper than just like let's get some bread together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Chris, I've got I've got one question. Final final question. If you want to go, go ahead, be no, I'm, we I'm got good. more speech. I'm here. good. <laughs> so um. This is more reflective, and you you may have touched upon it already, but what would 2003 MAE tell 2023 MAE? Okay, what was I doing in 2003? I just, I was fresh out of prison. I was prepping the 11th hour and released it, and I graduated college and was getting ready to go to law school. I honestly can say that I've lived my plan from then to now. So without having to sit here in silence for five minutes and be like, okay, think, think, think. What would I think I've literally did everything I potentially could have told myself. I made sure to finish school. I made sure to never put myself in debt. I I worked various odd jobs when I needed to when student loans weren't there for school. Like I paid, I, the, one of the happiest things ever was I finished law school in 07. I think I paid my law, my student loans off like by 2013, 2014. So no student loans. Didn't really go like use credit cards and shit crazy, which is like, obviously because in the taxi situation where I was stranded, if I had a credit card, I could have clearly paid for the ride, but I had 20 bucks cash on me. So that wasn't going to happen. Um, oh, and hold on. I got to finish that story. 
Priest never did the last verse. So there was a solemn <laughs> priest did called the Almighty. It was supposed to be for behind the stained glass. It's the last song on Almighty Original Sin. I took it. Yes. I took that fucking song, put it on Almighty. And it made sense. It was a song called Almighty. And so Priest has a solo on the album, Bros has a solo. But because I paid Priest for that fucking verse he never did, I'm like, I'm taking this. Was he upset with you? No. Because, I mean, well, he, should, okay. I mean, he shouldn't be more upset with himself. That was that. So, um, yeah. That was the end of that story. He never finished whatever the last song was supposed to be. Uh, so I think... I think it might have been the Killer Bees song. I don't remember if Priest is on there or not off the top of my head. Maybe it is. Uh, one day I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll go back and listen to the album. But um, so I think the most important thing would be just if I was, whether I'm talking to a former me or anyone that's at home that's going to listen to this, just whatever you want to do in life, if there's any business element to it, whether it's artistic or not, like it's still the music business, you know? Whether you're a good writer and you write books or a good painter and you make art, like there is still the business side of it. So even if you don't think like traditional schooling is for you, you still have to do anything and everything you can to master the business side of whatever your artistic pursuit is or whatever your non-traditional, you know, conformist pursuit is. And a lot of people, if you don't take the time to learn, you will be taken advantage of. And it's super unfortunate, but that's the way the world works. And the bigger sharks feed on the lesser, you know? Um, I would tell myself to not be so like reactive. Like you, like you can clearly tell how passionate I am about this shit by the way I speak. Like sometimes I do these interviews and I start crying. Like I'm literally like that passionate about whether it's something I've done in the past or something I'm going to do, knowing how impactful it can be or will be or even means to me like that's why i like i say and, and like i still care about how great this shit is i'm not just throwing out a cannabis record every month because i, I need the I, I don't need the fucking money like i want the fan I'm, I'm trying to make up for not working for cannabis for five or six years that's why the fans are getting so much product i feel bad about it like we fell out and it's one very rare occasion of where it's like i'm willing to make this right like I will never make things right with Priest. I will never make things right with Dreddy Kruger. I will never make things right with C-Ray's Walls, which is a whole other hour-long story. But, like, cannabis, sure. Me and Tragedy were cool, and Tragedy Gaddafi, cool, not cool, then got cool again. Like, we, so we still do work together every sparsely. But, you know, like, example of, like, I think that, you know, a lot of people just looked at me like a fucking lick. They didn't realize that I had all this ambition. I had all this drive. And maybe it was because, you know, hey, here's this white dude. Or maybe it's because I came up under Dreddy Kruger and people looked at him like a fucking, like, okay, here's this guy. You know, so it's like, you're guilty. I can, I, maybe I was guilty by association. But now that people clearly see all these years later, I mean, we're talking, a lot of these people met me when I was on year one or two from the, from the business side of things to year 20. Okay, shit, this dude rose up in the ranks. Now, now I need to look up to guy. It's crazy. I, I try to keep everything with this equal footing, but I got so much going on in my day to day. I don't have to tell like like to bark on people, you know. So it's like I would have told myself not to be like 
You know, like you could dismiss people aren't going to like you as the, as I made the rapper, I needed everyone to like me to, so they buy my shit, like become a fan of me. I'm a good person. The music's good. And I never realized at the time, but maybe I just thought I was so fucking good because I didn't have the greatest competition. You know, I came from the Midwest, dude. Like I was getting on all these big shows. Cause at the time when I started rapping, there was like five, five rappers. So we were all getting an opportunity. There was not this thing where you throw a rock and hit a rapper. That's what the world is now. Like Rhymefest was the top shit. The first time I battled Rhymefest in a public battle, I beat him. So it's like, okay, I'm like, you're the guy that was like comparable to Eminem. I just beat you. I could fucking take Eminem. Like, you know how that works with your mental. Like, <laughs> so, um, so I like, I then I thank God that I lived in San Francisco and New York and LA and, and won in the hardest cities there are. I'm talking about financial hardship. Like those are the most expensive cities in America. Not made it in all of them. That's the dexterity it takes to like, okay, you can accomplish anything, you know, um, just tell myself to be as business oriented as possible not sweat the little shit because in in, in in hindsight it's all little shit bro so as the artist you need everyone to love you to buy your shit as the AR, who the fuck cares you're not buying i mean some people do buy the product because they see my name on it like with capadonna out we just did the third chamber of girl bars was cap's highest sell record in like a decade i pushed the fuck out of that because it was more about me if that album charts it'd be about 40th bill more top 100 i'm telling all my friends buy it I know I don't usually do this, but buy it for real. I'm calling people like buy the record, text them, buy it, not just social media posts. And that sold phenomenally. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't need people to like me as the A&R so I can talk more shit. I can be more dismissive of people. And my wife and I just talked about this the other day, but her input was like, you know, with the exception of Indiana Jones, rest in peace, my mentors that are still alive and well, are Andrew Barber, a friend of mine who I was there from day zero of his company. I, w I was there when he was like, I'm going to call it Thanks for Drive. Boom. I did his radio show when he was in college at Bloomington, his MA, the rapper. People called in to freestyle about me over the phone, like that kind of shit. <laughs> but my other mentor is Brian Shafton. She's like, I wish you were more like Brian. But Brian's an OG, like Brian, triple OG at this point. Executive for Priority, owner of RBC, VP of Urban at BFG, now launched the new label, Compound Interest. The first thing he did for me, got us that $100,000 billboard in Times Square, the biggest one on the top of the police station for free. Like, we don't have wow. the fucking poll. Be more like Brian. Brian's not as, like, out there publicly as you, but I had to take more of a P. Diddy approach to my job to separate me from the pack. Because the reality of it is, there's thousands of A&Rs. There's thousands of music executives, but the more R.I.P. Diddy the shit, when someone asks, yo, do you know any A&Rs? Yeah, there's this guy, M80. My name comes up in the conversation because you see me. I'm active. Uh -huh. Brian doesn't have to be, and I had to explain this, he doesn't have to be as active because he's responsible for No Limit, for The Chronic, for fucking, like, you name it. Big Al, most death. Like, when you have those kind of accolades, yeah, the work's just going to come to you. I still, like, every month, my financial cycle starts over. So it doesn't matter if I have $10 million in the bank or if I made hundred grand in the, month, in the month prior. 
I literally take care of my bills and pretend that I have zero. So I am that hungry where I try to, like, I got to survive. I literally block out my reality that I'm fine. The reality is I could stop working and be straight for the next 15, 20 years. That is a fucking reality. So I started the retirement account now. So I can plan for the fact that I'm not going to be telling you to buy rapper verses from me in my 50s. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be yelling at artists and chasing them to do what's best for their livelihoods when it comes to their work. I'm not I'm just fucking doing it. I want to teach. I want to write books. Like I wrote the can the cannabis book sold out. The cannabis disaster battle book sold out. The book I wrote about fucking dicks made more than I make on some of these albums. Hold on, wait. This shit made twenty thousand fucking dollars. Famous dick piss. <laughs> My bad it gets picked out in the third. I almost had a publishing deal with Urban Outfitters for this shit, you know? I had Stormy Daniels, wow. the porn star, at the forward. This is a great book. This shit hold the fuck <laughs> out. Never, I've never seen that before. Famous dick pics. So everyone's like, bro, I'm not buying a fucking book of dicks. Fucking naked dudes in it. I'm like, it's not that, dude. I wrote this shit during COVID, bro. I got a, I got a certificate from Harvard during COVID. I didn't know a lot. I really maximized my time. Uh, it's about famous people that dip Rick and Richard drawn as penises uh, draws drawing like funny fucking like penises and shit with funny like sexual biographical worms that i just made up in my head so for instance yeah you're you're, you're different you're different yeah you're different. yeah yeah but bro, bro <laughs> like 20 grand this shit made 20 g's the canvas book made like twenty two thousand bucks you know like all good matt and the crazy thing is cannabis and i weren't even working together though like how we made the horses. Like the horsewood album helped us like bridge the gap and get back together. But like if cannabis yeah. would have helped push that fucking book, god damn, we could have made like fifty hundred grand. Like, okay, here we go. Richard Henry Dick Pohl. Okay, this is a real person. All these people are real people. And you and you did a you did a whole blurb and a and a Yeah, so okay, I'm just gonna okay. read you this one. All right. For and here's his picture. Okay, I had an illustrator draw these pictures. That's why this book took so long to do, because someone actually hated drew all this shit. For around 10 American dollars, you get the rare 1976 Boston Red Sox Tops baseball card autographed from the legendary New Zealander Dick Pohl. For a man such as myself who orders his favorite pizza from Chicago and favorite chili dogs from Ohio to Los Angeles, perhaps my concept of the value of a dollar is the best in the world, but I would assume such a precious gem would be worth somewhere in the ballpark of a cool million. Mr. Greatest Baseball Player name of all time, Dick Pohl, pitcher, wasn't really all that amazing on the field. He played in the Major League Baseball Association for a total of five years between the Boston Red Sox and the Seattle Mariners, and his career nearly ended in 1975 when a line drive struck him in the face. His career highlight was literally pitching to Reggie Jackson what would become Jackson's 300th career home run in 1977. I contacted many friends and living family members of Dick Pohl to see if there were any amazing stories about young Dick slagging that famous MLB Dick to sexist female jersey chasers in the hippie area of the 70s, and unfortunately, there were no tales to be told. Serious fucking letdown. There's yeah, you're different. That's what that. I can say. And that made you, what, 22 grand? 20. I made 500 copies, 40 bucks a pop, they caused me like 18 and change to make because it's a real fucking hardbound, fully colored book, bro. They all came autographed and numbered. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I I kept, I kept, I think I have like six left. 
Wow. Yeah. But dude, this is okay. Shit. So, so you've 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 lived you've lived a, a life. Um, a few, a few lives. We, a we few didn't lives. really even doubt. I mean, we talked about it briefly with Almighty, but like, I lived all my rap dreams as an artist. Oh, I've been the Guinness Book of World Records for rapping. Four of my old albums were on the Billboard Rap Top 100. I played in every state in America, and like three countries internationally: uh, Switzerland, Germany, United Kingdom. Like, there was not a whole lot left for me to do. Like, now that I have, like, all the resources in the world, I, the only thing that would be cool, if I could make one more of my dream song, would be with Red Band and Ad Rock from Beastie Boys. Okay. To make that happen. Here's, here's the thing. I, I've never met Ad Rock in person. I play, and I know Red Band personally. Even though I've never met Ad Rock, I think it's easier for me to get his verse than Red Band. Red Band is a super slick horror feature. <laughs> And that's why you don't see him on any of my records. Like we didn't even we didn't even get a red band verse for the undergods, which came to Ski Murray. We talked about it. He instead of money, he wanted a Rolex, and the Rolex he wanted was cheaper than what the label was gonna pay him. Which by the way, that label, I wish they were still around. They had infinite budgets for us. Well, what what which, label was which, that again? Which label it was called was that? Sound Records in Seattle. We recorded in the same studio with oh, Dave yeah. Matthews at Soundgarden in Nirvana. It, like in uh what's that shoreline washington it's a castle we live there one half the castle's the studio there's a there's a video on youtube of me like doing the tour and the other half is the living quarters and there's runners they make you they prepare all your meals like yeah it was amazing it, there's, i there's haven't a, heard the sound record door that sound was in the ages did they um did they put out the um the project lionheart project as well yeah that's wow. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, Project Gleinart. And I had them do the instrumentation with Bronze's Beats for the 60 Second Assassin album. Wow. Yes, that's right. I love that album, by the way. Love that project. What's crazy is that label passed on, they didn't, they had the opportunity to sign Slaughterhouse, like before he won, they didn't. They had the opportunity to sign Macklemore, it didn't. Oh, because it's Seattle as well. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Maybe yes. if they did, they may still be around. Yeah. You yeah. see, it was like you know there's a lot of people and i'm thankful for these people i don't i don't knock it like if you're passionate about like doing something that do it but these people ran like the world's most successful like debt collection agency so they had money to play with and they love right. music so that's like let's give our test our hand to the label they definitely were jaded because like i should be the most jaded person in any room i've seen it all done it all kind of shit but <laughs> They were jaded off the rip because they wanted to sign this one artist and he definitely should have taken the deal and then like ended up like stealing from them or something. Then I came in the picture and brought him bronze Nazareth. And then like we this is how we like finessed Baby Grand, even though they like ended up fucking everyone. Baby Grand wasn't giving Bronze his money for uh School for the Blind Men, I think it was. And so when, it, and they weren't giving him the money for Thought for Food Volume 2. So we just ran a press release that like, we left Baby Grand. Like if we, we could leave if we weren't, if they weren't paying us our options and our contract. So options always have guaranteed amount of money next to it. If they don't give you that guarantee, then you can walk. Like you can, they right. have first rate refusal. If they're not paying it, they refuse. So 
we i took all the artists to sell records we all did the deals we all got the money then we dropped this press release baby Grand's like whoa 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 what's this new label what you like we want you okay give bronze 100 percent of his money and we'll give this label their money back so of course baby Grand does that shit they give us all the money i still did almighty i did all my two with rbc but they definitely wanted to hold on to bronze the wise way um so they were sound records was mad because they thought i kind of like played them all that shit like used them as a chess piece but i didn't want to use them as a chess piece i was super content with doing the records with them baby grand was just like willing to put up the put up the, it didn't make sense but whatever yeah. they, so we did shit with baby grand still after the fact that was it after that um then the vp of sound records this dude named noah was kind of like playing executive like he'd come in and bring like his bitch and shit like oh yeah you know so these guys are recording raps for me making an album for me and like we need him to like focus and be serious about the shit and he'd be like all right guys i'll be back tomorrow like literally pop in for like 50 minutes i grabbed him up one time by his neck i'm like yo let get back down here bro we don't ever grow like so i you know they instantly fell out of love with me putting hands on the fucking dude cutting the checks not the cool not the smartest player in the game um they were pissed off at cannabis for not doing all the press for under guys i mean dude under guys was on bet shade 45 they were making the rounds we had a nice publicist press budget uh they were mad that i got him to like front the money with the 60 second assassin records without really realizing that the guy was like a 50 year old man and they were just sold out like it's wu-tang like okay we want we want to have some association with wu-tang which is how it goes sometimes like motherfuckers just want to be yeah, associated yeah. shit so and mm-hmm. i mean i can't knock the next man because i was probably once that person you know yeah i wanted to do this ideal for almighty to be part of that family tree we and Riza just had a talk about this literally last week like it was a really good talk actually i'm really happy we had it because i'm not a disciple of Riza. you know all these different wu-jang dudes came up through somebody but ultimately rizza has got to like co-sign the shit at some point and yeah. Riza's talk with me is like he brought up the movie i think it was like the 36 chambers movie he's like even the monks had to spend years in order to get the attention and the approval of the abbot once that happens then the abbot had to come to the monk to be like okay like this bond has been made like you are the student he's like i think you and i kind of skipped that he's right we did it but he also said he's like i don't know if you put in the work I kind of feel like you skip the mop and the floors part and the, and the doing this part and like, you know, right. I don't, and I thought about that. I thought about that the longest. I told him, I don't think I did skip that. I think me working essentially the records that people thought you would have always been the one to do. Like for instance, Dreddy Kruger and Timbo King were royal family together. Dreddy is the main executive quote unquote for Wu-Tang culture, but never made a Timbo King album. It took me to do it speaks volumes right so for me to do tim okay 60 second assassin all these priest records cap records i think that was me for lack of a better term mopping the floors doing the right. wax on wax off like daniel son to mr biagi and i'm glad to know that at least you acknowledge me and my work and respect it we don't have to now Riz and i talked about we were going to do a bobby digital record together uh it didn't happen there's a there's a completed bobby digital four so there's that you know there's tons wow. of records that i mean 
You know, just look dre, bro. Like, so. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's end that. We'll, we will save the London stories for part two sometime. Because um, I'm sure, maybe, I'm sure we can, we'll have you back. I mean, I mean, we'd love that. Always love an opportunity. That. Let's do that. Let's do that. I really enjoyed um, this conversation, there, bro. What, thank you so there much. There is a tour in the works. I think it's like only five or six shows. I know London's all there. I will be there. You guys will be my special guests. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I already know your fans are both both artists involved in this tour. Let's do it. So, so, hey, so, we, we so we're going out this year. We're going out this year. So, I'm breaking out, out an <clears throat> MAE. I'm, I, I don't go out anymore. M- I'm bringing MAE to, to Halsden, bro. You know, go have you, you know the label Dope Media, right? They're based on yeah, 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 yeah. So, I'm to date the only one who's ever released an album of Dope Media that's physically met the Dope Media people. Wow. Okay. So, you got your West Side Guns and Bettys and Conways and yeah, 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 Big yeah, yeah, Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sedella. I'm the only person yeah, that yeah, yeah. went to London and, like, I was like, I want to meet you. Like that's not yeah, like they, they, listen, they did listen, such a they, great they did so great with me in, in the Ghostface record. You know, we're talking about doing another project, and uh, I respect them, and I like the fact that like yeah. so I was like, let's get a picture together. The guys like I don't do that. Like he don't that, do it. Yep. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and it's not like he's fa- it's, it's not like he's famous like Maynard James Keenan of Tool who didn't start getting you the public guy until like the past year. You know, hence all the different outfits and costumes and shit. But like. I respect that. Like that's your anonymity. Snoop, Snoop has a videographer that travels with him, like everywhere he goes. You, he's the his face is not in one fucking photo. That's yeah, yeah. No, no, dope, 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 great, great quality. I got a lot of love. They got a lot of my money, so you know, I, I, I can't be Did mad at that. But no, like, like, you buy girl's face lost tapes? I no, no, I, I bought I, that I, one. I've got no, it. because it's sold out. It's sold, sold out. out. Yeah, you no, that's so. You so, got to remember. Listen, that's what fucking I disrupted their shit. They're we're, they're only doing small runs. So like, right? You know, Husk Kingpin, uh, uh, fucking uh, uh, Cocaine Beach. There's like a thousand units total. All the original West Side Gun pressings were like a thousand units total. They never done more than say fifty pieces for Ghostface. I was like, we have to have seven thousand vinyls. They're like, that's way that's not limited. I'm like, it's limited for Ghostface fan base. Like three thousand yeah. CDs, uh, five hundred tapes, and that's why. So that didn't sell out. I, I think there's like literally on the, on the website there might still be like forty vinyls left. There's still like I'm, I'm going to get a check this week from it. And now came out. I mean, if there is, I'm going to do it. But usually with dope, yeah, it sells out so, within like a minute, so right? And after like, they tested the waters with these bigger scale, uh, the bigger scale release like Ghostface. Now the West Side Good drops have like five thousand plus vinyls, but of course those still sell the day. But Ghost didn't do promo the week of the release. He was mad at me about something and purposely didn't. And then that guy, you know, people hate being on any given day. You never know. Uh, and then of course I know why. It's because because I I used stock footage to do the uh, Buckingham Palace video. Like Betty and Spesh and Crook and I all shot their shit right exact but ghost was not being like it was because they were wu-tang had shows to do and i couldn't get him scheduled and i'm like i have to do what's best for my investment you know you already got all your bread you don't give a fuck i need to protect my shit i still gotta pay people so and myself um so yeah I, he was mad didn't promote the shit and then oh, the week after when he saw people like literally the top song on ghost face is like spotify the most streamed song was off lost tapes so he's like, how is this possible? I have classics. 
he didn't appreciate the record and my vision for the record. It still probably still doesn't. Uh, I know the people that work with him fucking hate it. Like they, they belittle the album every chance they get because it was made by me, which makes no sense at all. Like you can give me my fucking props, dude. I'm, I'm up there now. Like it's okay. You don't have to pretend like you hate me because I'm the fucking white guy. Uh, <laughs> so, but like, bro, I gave Ghost an album that had a single with Snoop and E4 for me. Ghostface's favorite artist is Big Daddy Kane. I'm Kane on the fucking album. 141. Oh, bro. Is the best. The beats are hard yeah, as yeah, shit. Yeah. Ghost, yeah. Ghost purposely taxed me because he didn't like the idea of doing the album with Big Ghost. He's like, wait, you want me to do an album with the guy who pretends to be me? Fuck that guy. I'm like, no, you don't understand though. It's genius. All right, let me hear the songs. He loved the fucking beats. Like, yeah, Big Ghost is dope. Big yes, Ghost, is, Ghost is, yeah, serious. is serious. serious. Friend of the show but, too. But I, honestly, if I would have had Bronze Desert, that's why, you know, I did the remix album. That's why I did the remix album because Ghost, like, they taxed me probably extra 50 racks because he didn't like the idea of Big Ghost and Big Ghost. But I asked, so I, nice, with that genius. knowledge, with knowing what I had to pay out and plus, you know, get the shit made, there's more expensive than just paying Ghostface. I knew that it would still win. I was willing to, sure, bro, I'll pay the extra money. But I knew if I was, say, Ghostface, Bronze Dazzler, if I probably could have paid like 50, 60, 70K less. And I, I yeah. funded that whole shit. So that's why that album means so much to me. And when I hear fans like shit on it, I'm like, you don't get it. You don't fucking get it. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And I love the, Bro, I love the I dope. Tricky um, on I love the their version. Tricky. You got, oh yes, you did. <laughs> and DMX. That's right. Is DMX no, on it? But I got tricky on the motherfucking album. People have no idea how big that is. Yeah, no, DMX was on the, um, the, kick, the uh, <laughs> King Crooked and Bronze Dazzler. I got that mixed <laughs> yes. up. Yeah, I like the way you did the whole Supreme clientele with the font and the black and white. I thought that was Listen, dope. Pun intended, the shittiest part is that his manager made me call it the Lost Tapes, which I was like, no, that's fucking stupid. The original title for this album was Clientele Supreme. Why? Because every song has features. Clients. Clientele. Features. Guest artists. It made sense. No, you can't eat off the brand like that. So they didn't want me to win how I fucking knew I could win. Calling it Clientel Supreme puts it out of here. Then on Dope Media, it would have sold out the fucking first day. Calling it the Lost Tapes, I literally had to go into 10,000 interviews and be like, Jesus Christ, let me make some shit up. Like literally, like freestyle the shit. Ghostface decided to call it the Lost Tapes to be reminiscent of that Supreme clientele, oh, we built for Cuba Link sound. Da -da 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 -da. I had to say that shit over my head so many fucking times, knowing it's like, God damn it, dude. You literally are trying to fuck me by calling the Lost Tapes. Nas, this shit's called the Lost Tapes when it's like throwaway records that are released. Tupac's unreleased shit's called the Lost Tapes. This is a brand new studio album. Ghost recorded all that shit in real time. All the features in real time after Ghost finished. But now people are going to think it's like Nas, like it's like Tupac. Hence, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to come out in full support. I'm not buying a Lost Tapes project. I'll stream it first. If it's dope, then I'll buy it. But I'm not just throwing my money at it. That's the ethics of that. And then, yeah, so it was a funny situation. But again, I knew that I could still win with the expenses, even with the bullshit title, The Lost Tapes. I had to pay extra money to do the remix project and call it Ghost Files. Because no they they didn't the label that signed the remix project, they're like, we don't want the lost tapes. Okay. 
Like you want us to give real money? I'm like, oh, it's a brand new album called The Ghost Files. So I uh, thank God I had to go shade the fuck out of that. That saved my ass. <laughs> yeah, I got stories for days. We'll do it. Sorry, I'm not laughing at no, you. I feel, um, I feel you know you know how like you know you know what we should do, Emmy. I'm gonna be honest with you, right? We should do what what, what we should do. Do you remember the Chappelle? Do you, do you remember the Chappelle show when Paul Mooney would come in? Yeah. So we need to do that with you. We need to do like a rap version of like we we speak to you about a certain project and Paul Mooney gives his background to all that, but like in MAE style. We need to do that. Yes. That's what we need to do because that's hilarious. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Rest of peace, Paul Mooney. Rest of peace, Paul Mooney. Yeah, he was, he was a very funny. I man. used to say, like, you know how there was that like era where Ward Jabbar was on Vlad like every fucking day, <laughs> yeah. and like people yeah. didn't, yeah. people, you know, the younger people just, who's this Ward Jabbar guy? I said for every ten interviews Lord Jabbar did on Vlad, he should drop like one new song. You got to have some kind of ratio balance, right? Of course, right, never right, did, right? Right. Um. Yeah. I tried to reach out to Lord Jamal yesterday, speaking of us. Uh, I of sat Lord in Jamar. on a couple sessions on the 5% album. And I love that album. Okay. I love it. I don't remember if it was, I think it's the song where Raekwon, because, you know, Rizzo and Ray, I, I think Jizz is on it. But yeah. the version that I approved had Ray going first on the album. There's a lot of shit like that. Like, so it's also called, but they right, just switched right, it over right, to the right. MCs. Uh, I really love the song where Rizzo, I love that beat. The Deep Space. Yeah, Deep Space. I was there. I remember the last time I was there. It was, I think it was Valentine's Day, Italy, or somewhere around there. But uh, they did on oh, the quarter, and that was my favorite shit. Yeah, I'm going to pull out and that Grand album. Poobo was there. Yeah. He, he was at that session. That was cool. Grand Poobo. Yo, shout out to Lord Jamal, man. Yeah, Legends, I love man. that guy. Legends. We, we love them. So look, let's get the hell out of here. Um, we appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate sure. your um, time. You, you just let us know when you're in London, when you're coming down, we'll grab a drink, have some food. Chris could take you yeah. to Halsden. Yeah. That's okay. I'm, I'm taking MAE to Halsden. Lawrence took food. me to the Soho house and they brought out this okay. giant iron goblet, like a fucking tin with the, with the goblet. I was like, right, what right, is this? Right. He's like, it's the special drink. You'll love it. I was fucking wasted when I left that place, man. <laughs> no, no, MAE, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. Listen, we're going to be, that. it's going to be. I mean, we can do that, but we're also going to do brown paper bags, Yeah, we can do cups, that too. And we're going to Halsden. I was walking down the street with my wife and our, our friend Kara. We found a casino. I'm like, let's go to that shit. And it wasn't like, I'd been to the big casino in London, like the like the popular one. This was some like back alley shit. I'm like, let's go in here. It was all Asians. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> now, nah, well, look, I don't drink, so you guys can drink for me. I, I, um, I did a year, um, I did a year sobriety. Uh, I started drinking again last April uh, at the Grammys. And it's right. funny because I guess right. like the day before was April Fool's. So I'm like, I'm getting wasted all weekend. And we'll run up like a $10,000 bar tab. And it was like, oh, April Fool's. And I'm like, oh, serious. I posted a video. I'm like, oh, shit, bro. You should. Like just two days ago, you're like, I have a year sobriety. I got sober so I could make a baby. Like, because we were having issues. And right. sober, boom, got a baby. So clearly it worked. And got healthier and shit. Uh, but that weekend, I ran up. I we had the Snoop event. I ran up like a six grand bar tap that fucking event. But I made like eighteen grand that weekend between my work with Snoop. And uh, I, I I predicted the outcome of this North Carolina Duke game, like the over under and who was going to win. Right. And right, I right. told people like bet this bet that maybe like five grand. And so I was like, I fucking had a basketball so game covering a bar tap like great, you know. 
you're, you're up, that you're, was up great. you're up you're up but no, no let us know when you're down we'll catch yes. up um it's been a pleasure i like chris said i thoroughly enjoyed it a lot i of, really enjoyed it there's a lot of gems there's there's a lot of funny stories there's some seriousness this this interview has it all so we appreciate you man uh let us know if you ever need anything just just holler sure. and, and we'll, we'll got I you i can't bro. wait to see this live you know make sure everyone goes and uh you know checks it out thank you guys appreciate you man. Thank thank you. You, man. Peace. peace peace all right peace take care So that was M80. Bro, I'm going to be honest with you. Mr. Markov. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I thought I knew him. I didn't know him. Yeah, see, I thought, yeah, I, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I thought there's, you know, I see M80 stuff. I watch his A&R clinic sometimes. Yeah. I've seen interviews with him in the past. But I felt like he gave us stuff that he's not given, some stuff he hasn't given to anyone before. Yeah, and I think I it was agree. just the fact that he felt comfortable and he felt like he could he could share that with us. Yeah, man, but, M80's um, going to come to Halsden, bro. Yeah, I like that, man. That's a good, Bro, that's I'm a good idea. I'm going to take him to the barbershop and all that. Meet Tyrone and all that. Oh, yeah, he would love that. He would love that. M.A. He's going to love all that. Uh, Tyrone would be like, who's if... this? I'd be like, yo, just Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang, innit? Wu-Tang. <laughs> now, nah, we appreciate you, M.A., for, for joining us. And, uh, yeah, and and, and uh, Chris, you got anything else you want to say before we head the hell out of here? One more thing, bro. I just want to say thank you to the Reddit community. Um, when we were away on mm. our break, the Reddit uh. community, the hip-hop threads, really championed us like um my wife was showing me threads on reddit where people were asking about what are the best hip-hop podcasts with interviews of legends who should i listen to and our names breaking Adams hip-hop podcast came up a few times and she was sending me pictures so i just want to say thank you to the reddit community for your passion for sharing the work for talking about us um it's dope one day we'll probably sign up well i know I'll, i'm gonna sign up i'll wow. kick, kick it with you guys but I just didn't know that we were being spoken about on Reddit until my wife showed me. So I want to—I really want to thank and big up that community. It means a lot. Wow. So we on Reddit? Yeah. Like I mean, people, people, people mentioning us on Reddit, yeah, sharing that's, links, that's, that, and that's, um, that's it was—it was—it was really uplifting to see. And because we were away, you know, we live in a, a society and a time where, you know, when you're not seen, you're forgotten about. But the fact that people kept talking about us while we were away, asking when are we coming back? You know, DMs where you guys at? Come back. I just didn't know Reddit was talking about us like that, bro. So yeah, that's, yeah I just want to thank the Reddit humbling. community. That's humbling. We appreciate you always, always, always. This is about the listener, and about me, and about Chris. This is about hip hop culture. Word. We loved it. We we love each and every one of you from everywhere around the world. We do appreciate you. Um, if you want shoutouts, holler at us on our socials, and we'll we'll do that. But no, thanks, Chris, and also to Roxy as well, man. I I wouldn't have known that. I did not know that whatsoever. So now she's been on. She's been on Reddit for other things and. She, she just typed in breaking atoms one day and no, she really, just it's a great place. things. Yeah, yeah. For information, it's a great place to to get information and, and to communicate and also a throwback for us, you know, we love that forum. We you know we grew yes. up on forums, right? Yes. So it's part of our lineage. Like we you know, a Reddit thread is, is great. I, I find that Reddit threads best you know, if I'm looking for certain things, I I trust them for some reason. Because mm. I trusted message board. So no, no, that that's live. Listen, we just get the hell out of here. Yeah. Let for the real listeners more. go, let the listeners digest. And soak up all that information and stories, bro. Because M A T M A E is just giving us stuff. You're gonna listen. Like this is gonna be like a a, a a Rakim verse where you're gonna hear hear something and then rewind and go. Did he just say that? Yep. Did he mention that? Yes, album? he did. And, yes, he did. And so you're gonna. This has got replay value. Absolutely. So, yeah, we appreciate you. So as always, you can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms. 
Chris's handle is at I'm Kinetic Minds at Hip Hop Chronicle. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe and smash the like button because apparently if you smash oh the like God, button, you're doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, you have oh, to smash oh. it. You can't just click the like button. Yeah, why does everyone smash. say that? I don't know. That's something that's I'm obviously okay. mocking it, right? You're being facetious. So, All right, cool. No worries. Facetious. Um, I'm being magnificent. I'm being facetious. Um, smash the like button if you're watching this on on YouTube. We've got more interviews on the way. We appreciate each and every one of you. Chris, thank you for your time. God bless you. God bless the listeners. And we are out. Peace. Peace. Peace.